You know, the first time I really experienced Easter being a great day was in 1982. I wasn't born then yet, but I was just having an epiphany in my mother's womb. No, I had become a Christian just a few weeks before Easter. I was 19 years old, and I'd, I'd gone my whole life, I'd gone to church, and I'd sat through a lot of Easter services and Easter ceremonies and all that. It never meant anything, but for some reason, this first Easter as a Christ follower, it was just different. There was a joy, there was an excitement that I'd never experienced before. Easter was great. And I remember my first Easter as a pastor. It was 1987. I was 23 or 24. We had a big crowd that Sunday. You know, Easter you always do. We, we had 30. And that was up from our regular 20. And I'm not exaggerating that. And uh, it was, it was not, that's not pastoral speaking 30. I mean, we had 30. You can count it when it's 30 and be accurate. But it was just a great day. We, we had twin boys and their sister, uh, the Josh and Jason were the twins, and they were uh, barrel full of energy. Amanda was their little three-year-old sister. She watches us every Sunday from West Texas. So, Amanda, if you're watching this service, love you. Uh, I remember the twins were full of energy as they always were. Amanda had a little pretty little Easter hat on, and she thought I was the greatest person and preacher in the world, which obviously she, we realized then she was a child genius. Uh, it's a joke for you visitors. Uh, <laughs> but I just remember how wonderful that first day was with those three kids and with, with my church. And, you know, what I'm talking about now is subjective. I'm talking to you from my experience. But what I want us to look at today in, in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians 15, if you have a Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, if not, it'll be on the screens. I want to try to walk you through why really and truly Easter is the greatest of days and why you can leave here this morning experiencing Easter in a way you never have before if you will make a decision to do so. Why is Easter great? Let me give you a few reasons. It starts with this. Jesus died for our sins and he walked out of the grave. <laughs> Jesus died for your sins and my sins, and then he arose from the grave. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, it says, Brothers, I, don't, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you have taken, where you've taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Verse 3 and 4 he says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. This is the gospel. Gospel means good news. People get funny when you talk about the gospel. When we're interviewing candidates for our church positions time to time, We'll say, tell us what the gospel is, and they'll send us a 40-page report. And we say, the gospel, real simple. And there's a lot, it, it, the implications are endless. The gospel is Jesus Christ died. He died for our sins, and Jesus Christ arose from the dead. That is the gospel. The earliest creed of Christianity within two years of Jesus' death and resurrection was this. It was Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and Jesus arose. And that is great news. In fact, he, here's what he says here. He says, this is of first importance. 
He doesn't mean that, oh, you know, there's 15 things, and this is kind of, you know. He said, listen, this is everything rises and falls on this, that Jesus died for our sins and that Jesus came back to life someday. Everything rises and falls on this. Let's look again at verse 3 and 4, what these verses say. For what I passed on to you, as of first importance, Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried. Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. It means the anointed one. Jesus was the anointed one of God. Folks, if you're an atheist today or you don't believe the Bible, you can look in secular history and you can see this, that a guy named Jesus of Nazareth lived and that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified, that he died. That is a historical fact if you don't even believe there's a God. Some people say, well, maybe he didn't really die. Folks, the Romans did not crucify you to punish you. They crucified you to kill you. He was horribly beaten. He was flogged. He was beaten again. He was nailed to the cross his, through his, his hands, through his feet. He was left there to suffocate. He died. They stuck a spear in his side, probably piercing the pericardium, the sack around the heart, and blood and water came out. And to, and to reiterate the fact that he died, they said, and then he was buried. Now, folks, here's the, the thing. Listen, all this is stuff you, we could preach on for like six weeks every Sunday, so it's, I'm trying to condense it. He didn't die for, for his sins. He died for your sins. He died for my sins. He died for how we have blown it, not how he had blown it. But, folks, if, it, if the story stops there, the story's incomplete. It's not just enough that Jesus died for us. In verse 4, it says, and that he was raised from the dead. Verse 4, he was buried and that he was raised. Now, folks, an empty tomb doesn't mean someone's come back to life. There was a dad and his four-year-old son were driving around one Sunday afternoon, they were out in the country, and they drove by a cemetery, and there apparently was going to be a funeral later that day, and, and so there's a tent, and there is a, a hole, and there's dirt outside. Every, most of us have seen that. They're fixing to bury somebody. The little boy didn't know what that meant. He said, Daddy, look, one of them's got away. <laughs> An empty tomb doesn't, doesn't prove anything. And in fact, some of you are going, well, you know, this is written, and this is, I guess it's authoritative. But, you know, things can be written and they can seemingly be authoritative and, and still not necessarily be accurate. I want to read to you some, some, these are true things that were in newspapers, headline articles. And, you know, you, you'd think a respectable newspaper that would have a headline article that it would be, it would make sense, it would be important, it would be valid. Here's one of them, City Unsure Why Sewer Smells. I can figure that out for them. I love this one. Volunteer search for old Civil War planes. Good luck with that. Think about that. That's funny. <laughs> this would have gone with my sex sermon a few weeks ago. Statistics show that teen pregnancy drops off significantly after age 25. <laughs> it's a miracle. <laughs> I like this one. Homicide victims rarely talk to the police. Yes, we had a seance down at the police station, and we, uh, here's one that'll stick with you. Headlines paper, man with eight DUIs driving under the influences blames drinking problem. That guy's on to something, isn't he? Hope that's not one of my doctors. Wouldn't that be, uh, that wouldn't be good. So, because it's written, does it make it authoritative? Let's look again in verse 4. 
that he was raised. Literally, the word raised there in your Bibles, it, it's talking about a bodily resurrection. Some preachers, some denominations, oh, it was spiritual, you know, hmm, Jesus' spirit, his ghost walk. No, no, no. That, that, what the Bible's saying is that Jesus bodily got up, like you had to do to get here this morning, and he walked out of the tomb. Then it goes on. And these verses, look in verse 5, it says, And he appeared to Peter, and then the twelve. The word appeared there means a literal appearance. It doesn't mean that Peter saw a vision, he had a dream. It means someone, Jesus, literally showed up and, and showed himself to these guys. Now, here's something that's really important, too. Peter and the disciples weren't expecting Jesus to show up. So that helps with the validation of this. In verse 6 it says, After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Now, folks, God's writing this letter through Paul to the people in Corinth. They did not believe in the bodily resurrection. So he's, trying, he's having to sell them on it like I'm having to sell some of you. And again, I'm trying to condense this because I, I can talk about this for days. I love this subject. But... He's saying 500 people saw this man. They, many of them touched him. They saw him eat. They witnessed this happen. This is written 20 to 25 years after the resurrection. So he's saying many of them are still alive. You, you don't believe me? Go talk to these people. They are, still, they are still around. Listen, the Vietnam War ended 40 years ago. But we have people in this room, certainly in the early service, who fought in the Vietnam War. We have many people who were alive during that era. And if someone said the Vietnam War didn't happen or it didn't exist, that yada, 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 we've got way too many people who can say absolutely it did. Paul was saying, listen, you don't believe it. There is tons of people around. Folks, if you took 500 eyewitnesses and you took them to the courthouse, you gave 15 minutes each to be cross-examined, Without stopping, that's 125 hours of nonstop eyewitnessing. That's pretty good evidence, isn't it? One psychiatrist said this. He said, people talk about, well, they had a vision or a delusion or whatever. The psychiatrist said for 500 people to have the same delusion or hallucination is a greater miracle than the resurrection itself. <laughs> Sir Lionel LeCou, Sir Lionel LeCou was an English lawyer. And in January the 1st, 1985, he had just celebrated his 245th murder acquittal. He was a defense attorney. 245 in a row, he defended clients who were going on trial for murder. 245 and zero, he had them acquitted. He was listed as the greatest trial lawyer in the world at the time. He began to study the resurrection. He began to study the evidence, and here's what he said. It's overwhelming. Jesus Christ came back to life. And that was enough for him to say, if he came back to life, he's who he said he was, and I am giving my life to him. Amen to Sir Lionel. Folks, Easter starts with Jesus died for you and me, but he didn't stay dead. He walked out of the tomb. Now, some of you are saying this today probably. You've heard it before. It's old hat. So what does it matter? Okay, what if, what if it even is factual? What does it matter? I want to share with you some, some facts because sometimes facts don't matter. I mean, they, re- they really don't. The state with the highest percentage of people who walk to work, where would you think that was? I'd say Hawaii, Florida. 
Try Alaska. Those Eskimos are some tough folks, aren't they? Intelligent people have more zinc and copper in their hair. Now, young people, if you're dating or you're older and you're dating, I would do the smell test. I don't know if you can smell copper and zinc. I'd pluck some and take it to the lab and do a little test because you don't want to marry a dumb person. Ask my wife. She married me. It's tough. <laughs> copper and zinc deficiency, Cindy. The first couple, let's go on the sex series. The first couple shown in bed on primetime TV, who do you think it was? Fred and Wilma Flintstone. Isn't that great? If you don't know who they are, we'll see you after church and counsel you about that. The youngest pope ever, they estimated the youngest pope was 11 years old. That's pretty good to be infallible at 11, isn't it? That'd be awesome. And if you're not double-jointed or you don't have an 18-inch tongue, it is impossible to lick your elbow. Now, if someone's double-jointed or they have a... Go ahead, because you're going to think about this the rest of the sermon. You can't, you can't do it. You can't do it. Go ahead and try it, Mike. Just, you, it's, it's impossible unless you're double-jointed or you have a... We'll be praying in a minute, and I'll look. Some of you will be going... <laughs> All those are facts. They just don't really matter. They just really don't matter. But let me tell you why, let me tell you why the resurrection matters. Christianity doesn't exist without the resurrection. Folks, this phony baloney about Jesus was a good teacher and a good philosopher, yada, yada, yada. Man, he, if he didn't arise from the dead, he's a liar and a dead lunatic. He said he was God. But he did walk out of the tomb. And if you want to talk about it more this week, I would love to because he did walk out of the tomb. And so that means everything he said is true. And let me give you four things today how this really applies to you and me because of Easter. Here's the first thing. You can be forgiven because of Easter. You can be forgiven because Jesus came back to life. In Mark chapter 16, verse 7, there's a little subtle verse. Go tell his disciples and Peter he is going ahead of you in Galilee. There they will see him, just as he told you. In verse 5 in 1 Corinthians 15, that he appeared to Peter and then the 12. Why the emphasis? The 12, now it was just Without Peter there, too, it was just 10 at this time, but that was a descriptive title of the group. Every one of them had failed him miserably. Every one of them in the most crucial time in his life had dropped the ball with Jesus Christ. Peter, Peter, Peter. Peter was one of his best, if not closest friends, the leader of the group. Peter told Jesus the night before he was, he was arrested. He said, I will die with you. He argued with him. You got to love Peter. He argues with Jesus. And three times he denied him. Jesus said, look, you guys blew it big time, but I walked out of the tomb and I died for your sins to forgive you. I want you to see a video. I think it's very moving. The video is, it's a modern day picture. Uh, Peter is the bald guy and Jesus is the black-haired guy, but it's an encounter. It, it, it's the encounter that they have where Jesus is saying to Peter, why I wanted to meet with you specifically. Let's watch this video. What does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait. The angel said, what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said, okay. what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. 
to the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. that awesome what you're seeing this morning if you don't think you have it God himself can't help you (laughs) most of us are not so far removed psychologically that we don't understand we got junk in our lives you an adulterer you're struggling with homosexuality you're fornicator? Are you just a Christian who is just half-hearted, lukewarm, about that much of what you used to be for Jesus? Are you lost? You're not a Christian. You've never believed. Here's the great news. Here's the phenomenal news of Easter is that Jesus walked out of that tomb to find Peter and the disciples and to find you if you'll embrace him to offer you forgiveness. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, come now, let us reason together, God says. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Isn't that beautiful? Though they are red as crimson, they will be like wool. Because Jesus died and walked out of that tomb, you and I can be forgiven of everything we've ever done. But not only that, it means that that we can get another chance. It means not only can we be forgiven, but we can get another chance. And and those two aren't always the same. In verse 5, he says, tell Peter and the disciples that I'm going to come see them. Here it says he did see them. I don't know about you, but if I would have been Jesus, I might could have forgiven these guys, but I don't know if I would have wanted to give them another chance. You know what I mean? It's kind of like I talked about a few weeks ago, forgive them, but maybe not like them. (laughs) You know, Peter, you guys, I, I love you, man. Heaven's in your future, and I forgive you, but you have failed me so much. I just, man, I can't do life with you anymore. That's exactly what Jesus didn't do. Jesus said, yeah, you failed me a lot, but you're coming back to me with open arms, and I'm willing to forgive you and give you another chance this morning. Years ago in the 1800s, there was a prison in Ohio that the governor of Ohio decided he was going to pardon six inmates. And he let the warden know and the leaders of the prison, but they kept it kind of under wraps, and he asked the warden, Find six men that you believe are worthy. We can let them out. They're not going to do something terrible. And that deserve forgiveness and deserve another chance. So they had a big, finally they told the prisoners it was going to happen. And they had a big meeting in their auditorium. All the prisoners were in there. The governor got up and he talked for a long time. He's kind of blowhard. He talked for a long time. And then he said, I want to announce the pardon. So I'm going to read the names and then I want you to come down and receive your pardon. And then you are free to go. 
So the first name he reads, he says, Reuben Johnson. Nobody moves. He says, Reuben Johnson. Four more times. Nobody moves. Finally, the chaplain is sitting near Reuben Johnson. He says, Reuben, who is a lifer, been in prison for many years for a horrible crime. He says, Reuben, he's talking to you. Reuben said, I thought he was talking about another Reuben Johnson. So Reuben sheepishly makes his way down to the podium. He shakes the governor's hand, puts his head down, takes the pardon, and he walks back and sits among the other prisoners. The ceremony continues, and then it's over. And then they notice Reuben is in line going back to his cell. And the chaplain and the warden have to go get him and say, you didn't understand. The the governor says, you are forgiven, you are pardoned, and you are free to go. Some of us this morning may say, you know what? I know how I am. It's healthy if you know how you are, by the way. And how could God forgive me? much less give me another chance. Here's the great news this morning. If you'll come to Christ, not only does he want to forgive you, he wants to give you another chance and a second chance. Many of us here this morning, we need that 50th chance, don't we, to get back right with God. And that's the great news about Easter, is that Jesus arose to forgive us and give us another chance. Here's the third thing. They all go together. You can get a renewed sense of purpose this morning. Man, some of you desperately need this. It says in verse 5, he appeared to Peter and then the 12. Here were guys hiding. Another reason to believe in the resurrection. They weren't expecting him to come back to life. They were in hiding. I think if Jesus had not a show back up in a few days, there had been more suicides than just Judas. But they met the resurrected Jesus, and the strangest thing happened, guys. He not only forgave them, he not only said, I want to give you another chance to be on the team, but he sparked a fire in them that these men went out and they changed the world for Jesus Christ. They turned the world upside down. We are here today because of Jesus and because of those first men. You're not a Christian today. I want to tell you, Jesus wants to give you a spark and a purpose in life that nothing else can give you. Your job won't give you. Your spouse can't give you. Your kids can't give you. Money can't give you. You buy all the toys in the world. They are not going to give it to you. Jesus will give you a reason and a purpose that you're looking for. Now, I want to scold some of you Christians, and I'm not trying to be mean. I just want to be honest. Here's what's happened to many of us Christians. We're rusting out for God. You're not going to burn out. You're going to rust out. And you used to be in the game, but for some reason, you're you're in the, the, the bleachers. You're on the bench. And you're watching, and some of you, you're, you're not watching in a negative way. I mean, you're, you're happy when good things happen, and you cheered on, and you paid the entry fee and all that, but you're just not in the game anymore. Some of you may be in another spot. For some reason, you believe you have the spiritual gift of criticism and griping and complaining. (laughs) And you're not in the game anymore, but you sure know how everybody else should be doing the game. Man, God has called you and me to be game changers, difference makers, and eternity impactors. Do you hear me? God's not left you here just to take up space and oxygen. God has left you here to make a difference in the world. Isn't that exciting? 
And find this Easter, find that renewed sense of passion and purpose that you can leave here today saying, with the help of God, I'm going to make the name of Jesus, I'm going to make my church wherever your church is, and I'm going to impact lives for the rest of my time here on this earth. That's what happened to the disciples when they met Jesus. That needs to happen to us today. Lastly, I want to tell you this. You can be changed forever this morning because of Easter. Verse 7 is a very interesting little subtle verse. It says he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Who was James? This James was Jesus' half-brother. Back of the Bible, there's a little book named James, which is a great book, by the way. I don't know if you know this or not. James was not a Christian before the resurrection, another good proof of the resurrection. I mean, how can you grow up with somebody... And believe that they're the Son of God. That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Because I mean, he knew Jesus was human. Jesus may have put him in a headlock occasionally and, you know, give him a noogie on the head. Playing around, of course. Christian love. But James met the risen Jesus Christ, and he was never the same. He became a Christian. James became the first pastor of the church of Jerusalem. James became one of the great Christian leaders of the faith. James died a martyr's death. You know why? Because he was not a believer until he encountered the resurrected half-brother, Jesus Christ, and he was changed forever. In verse 8, it's the story of another guy. And last of all, he appeared to me, Paul said, as one abnormally born. Folks, if you don't know much about Paul, Paul was a hater. Very religious, but a hater. He hated Jesus. He he wasn't apathetic or non-interested like a lot of people. He hated him. He hated Christians. Paul tried to kill. Paul did kill Christians. Sweet guy, right? But he's on his way to Damascus to destroy churches, and he bumps into the resurrected Jesus. And you know what? He becomes a Christian, and he spends the rest of his life Lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. See, here's here's the most awesome news. You could have walked in here this morning not knowing Christ, even hating Jesus, hating the church. But even now, God's pulling on your heart. And you can leave here this morning, if you'll make the right decision, you can leave here this morning on your way to heaven. And I promise you a better life here on this earth. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? You see, Easter truly is the greatest of days if we will respond to the risen Jesus. Let's pray. Christian, I I plead with you this morning to let this day change you. I plead with you today to resell yourself out to Christ. And if you're not a Christian, I plead with you. I literally, I plead with you today. Give your life to Jesus. How do you do that? Very simply, if you'll pray with me where you are. It's not my words for sure. But it's sincerely asking Christ to do this. He'll do it. Pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. And Jesus, 
I accept this morning that you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart. And today, I give you my life. I give you my life. Let me have your attention. Here's what we're going to do in just a second. We're going to stand. But I want to ask you, let's make this different today. Let's don't just stand and sing a verse or two and then sit back down. Let's, Let's act on what God's saying to us. You just ask Jesus into your heart. Are you ready to do that? There's going to be ministers down front. We would love to help you with that decision. From the balcony, wherever you are, when we stand, would you come and talk to one of our ministers? Maybe you'd like to join the church today. One way you can do that is when we stand, you can ease down here. We'll be down here waiting on you. We'd love for you to come and join us. Christian, maybe this morning you need to be the first down the aisle. You need to... You need to leave your seat today and come get on your knees. Or come pray with a minister and say, God, it's going to be different in my life from this day on. Let's make it different. Let's stand. As God leads you, you respond to him. We'll be down here waiting.